0: Amen. If you have your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. For the last time in this series, we'll be here, and this is the last day for this series. Next week, we begin a new series um, called The Road to the King, and we'll be in Luke 19 in the month of March, um, leading up to Easter. If you didn't know this, Easter is the last Sunday of March. It is quickly, quickly approaching And so uh, if you want to get a head start, we'll be in Luke 19 the next few weeks. Um, But for today, we're in Proverbs chapter 3. Now growing up, uh, and and some of you have been here in the state for a while, driven down I-35, Guthrie used to have this Dairy Queen. And um, we'd stop there so often, and my family growing up, we would stop there. And I'll never forget as a little kid going by there and getting one of these guys um, a phenomenal, very good blizzard. And I would almost always get the chocolate chip cookie dough. Uh, so good. And I don't want to get you hungry quite yet. But anyways, we would, uh, as, as kids, you know, going through this um, drive-through at Dairy Queen, we would basically would just stop there just to get blizzards. And so we would order, the ice cream would then arrive, and my dad would be in the driver's seat driving. So he would be in the driver's seat. And the ice cream would then initially travel through his hands before it got into our hands. I understand how this now works now as I'm a dad. But anyways, it would travel through his hands before it got to ours, and it never failed. He would take a bite to test it, to try whatever justification he used, I don't know. But he'd take a bite out of the ice cream before giving it to us. And it drove us crazy. Like, it drove me crazy. It drove my siblings crazy. Like, you can't do that. That's our ice cream. Like, come on. That, that's not fair. It's mine. But despite my objections and my emotions and whatever my internal thinking was, the ice cream actually did not belong to me. It was his. My dad bought the ice cream with his money, he produced the ice cream. It was his. Therefore, he had a right to first fruits, so to speak. A right to the first bite. And really, he had a right to the whole cup of ice cream. He could have just ate it right there in front of us. What, what could I do? I didn't buy it. He bought it. It was his. And he was choosing to give it to me. That's really the picture we've been trying to capture in this series entitled, The Wise Steward. All of it's His. First and foremost, he has a right to first fruits, a right to all of it, because all of it is his. Again, we're not owners, we are stewards. And so we are to honor the Lord with the first bite, so to speak. And we're really to honor him with the whole cup of ice cream. Now, last week we talked about time. Some of you have been numbering your days this week. Very nice. Um, We talked about time in a very similar way that we talked about money and resources the previous week, but we saw how we're to steward our time wisely. Well, today we wrap up the series by looking at how we're to honor the Lord with the relationships in which he has entrusted to us. How are we to steward those relationships wisely? So remember, our theme verse is this Proverbs 3.9, which says we are to honor the Lord with our possessions, is one translation. Most translations have, we're to honor Him with our wealth. Again, as a summary here, wealth in this context refers to all that is in our possession, money, time, relationships. Anything that we use the phrase, my fill in the blank, anytime we use that phrase, And whatever follows, that's what we're to honor the Lord with. My money, my job, my time, my family, my friends, my house, my car, my ice cream, my life. Honor Him with it all. You say, well, what does honor me? Well, the word honor in this context means to carry a load or a burden or a weight Meaning we are to put the entire load of everything we possess onto the Lord, transferring the whole weight onto Him. Now, why would we do that? Because, again, what the Scripture is wanting us to do, first and foremost, is acknowledge that it all belongs to Him already. Everything and everyone belong to the Lord. Everything we have was given to Him, or given to us by Him. Everything, in a way, is a gift, and he has expectations of how we're to handle that gift. Again, we're not owners. We are stewards, and steward is just kind of a fancy older term that really just means a person who oversees, who governs, or who manages another's property or financial affairs, and we're to be wise stewards of all that God has given us because it all belongs to him. Thus, we are wise stewards when we steward what he has given us in the way that he wants us to steward it, truly believing that it's his to begin with. On the opposite side, we're foolish stewards when we steward what he has given us in the way we want to steward it, falsely believing it's ours to begin with. So this begs the question, the question we've asked in this series, are we honoring the Lord with our wealth? Are we honoring Him with our wealth? Are we stewarding our resources, time, and relationships wisely or foolishly? Now, as I've said, we might have internal convictions that say, yeah, it's all His, amen to that. But if that's us, then the question is, do our actions match what we say are our convictions? Because external actions will reveal true internal convictions. So what do our actions say about us as a steward of the wealth that God has given us in in resources, money, and in time, and in relationships? What do our actions say about us? And so with relationships, what do our actions say about us when it comes to being a steward of our children, grandchildren, siblings, parents, grandchildren, grandparents, friends, neighbors, co-workers? Are we wisely stewarding these relationships, or are we foolishly stewarding these relationships? So looking more at Proverbs 3.9, the scripture says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, or as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, the best part of all that is produced. So again, recognized who created the land, who created the process that grows crops, who produced those crops? Who produced the ice cream? The Lord. So honor him with your wealth and with the first fruits or the best part of all that is produced. So, again, we've looked at resources at the time. Now we're gonna look at relationships. And I will say the last part to this series honoring the Lord with our relationships might be the hardest. Especially if you have children or grandchildren or great grandchildren, something like that, it is probably the hardest. Why I believe it's the hardest is because this message, this calling for the Lord, really has two challenges. Challenge one has to do with our perspectives, and challenge two has to do with our priorities. Again, two challenges that make this one difficult honoring the Lord with our relationships. The two challenges are perspectives and priorities. So let's look at the first challenge our perspectives. When it comes to the relationships in our lives. And again, this is radically shifting or changing our perspective in the same way we have to change our perspective on money, on time, on all that we possess. But we'll look at this challenge by asking a question Do we see the people in our lives as first and foremost belonging to the Lord? In the same way, we could talk about fruit or time or money, all that kind of. Do we see the people in our lives as first and foremost belonging to Him? You can think about your spouse, your your siblings, your friends, your your coworkers, your children, your classmates, teammates. Do we see the people in our lives as first and foremost belonging to the Lord? So remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Abraham's moment with Isaac. It's a very gut-wrenching kind of moment, in which he literally laid Isaac on the table and through his external actions declares his internal convictions that he's all yours. Isaac, and not just Isaac, myself. Isaac, first and foremost, Lord, he belongs to you. See, Abraham had the right perspective on the people in his life. He saw people, even his own children, as first and foremost belonging to the Lord. Psalm 139 makes it clear that we, humanity, people, all of us in this room, are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That's true, not just of you, but all those in your life. God created each and every one of us. God knit us together in our mother's womb. We are made in His image. Again, that's true of us. It's true of every one of our family members. That's true of our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, our parents, our siblings, our spouse, but also our friends and neighbors and just everyone. All of us are fearfully and wonderfully made by God's. God knit every person together in their mother's womb. God created people in his image. God produced the ice cream, so to speak. Not you. And as Paul said in Colossians 1, all of us, all people, thus are created by gods and for gods. By God and for God. While those in our lives are ultimately created by God and ultimately created for God's, If we are to steward our relationships wisely, we must acknowledge first and foremost that they belong to God. That they are first and foremost created by God and for God. And again, this may be more than all we've talked about. This right here, more than money, more than time, more than anything else, requires an extreme... Intense level of trust. Abraham putting Isaac on the table, that's trust. Jesus submitting himself unto the Father, even unto death, that's trust. And ultimately, this entire series has really been about adopting and applying a disposition of trust in the Lord with our wealth. That's, that's part of bringing your first fruits, is trust. Do I trust the Lord with my resources? Do I trust him with my time? Do I trust him with my relationships? We honor him with it all, meaning we transfer the weight of it all onto him. And that requires a significant amount of trust. So we are to trust him with our lives, but also with the Lives of those in our lives. Again, we're to trust him with our lives, but also to trust him with the lives of those he has placed in our lives. So think for a moment about this guy by the name of David Kuhn. David runs marathons, and David is blind. He cannot see. In 1981, he was in a car accident. A drunk driver collided with his vehicle changing his life, causing his eyesight to slip away. Eighteen years later, 1999, David began completing marathons. And despite his inability to see, David's able to run these races because guides remain side by side with him, giving him constant and continual instructions. So David says, listen, if we're turning left or we're turning right, I'll put my hand up against their shoulder to follow them around, and they'll tell me when we're turning straight or running straight, or they'll give me cues about rough pavement ahead. So it's not just that the guides stay with him, though. It's that David trusts his guides. He trusts them by listening and obeying them. Quite literally, by his external actions, he's transferring the weight of himself onto them. He's trusting them, and that trust allows him to remain steady on the path, move with confidence, and finish that race set before him, despite his inability to see. And again, this notion of trust is all throughout these verses. We've kind of been looking at the context of Proverbs 3, 1 through 12, and trust is at the heart of all this. Just listen to verse 5 and 6 of chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in Him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength with everything. Don't depend or rely on or lean on your own understanding. Instead, seek His will, His will in all that you do. If you do that, He'll show you which path to take, or He'll make straight your paths. So in other words, we are to trust the guide, to listen to him, to obey him, to trust the guide, and his name is Jesus. Trust him with our lives, but again, also with the lives of the people that he's placed in our lives. The ones that he has entrusted to us in the relationships we have with them, whether we're talking parent, child, employee, co-worker. Ultimately, we're to trust Him with them while we seek to lead them to Him. Because the people in our lives belong to the Lord first and foremost, and we're called to lead others to Jesus in all that we say and do. But this now comes down to the second challenge we face, the priorities. The priorities of our relationships, meaning who gets our best devotion? Who gets our best attention? Who gets the best love? The first fruit of our love? Who is first in our life? And this isn't extremely important, because we will never wisely steward the relationships in our lives unless Jesus is the number one love. You will butcher your marriage, your parenting, your friends, your workplace, if you don't put Jesus first. If we do not offer him the first fruit of our love, things won't go well. We'll never wisely stir with the relationships in our lives unless Jesus is that number one love, the best love, the first priority in our lives. Now, back in November, we we did a series in Philippians, and I used this illustration in a little different vein, Um, but I feel like if I use this illustration enough, some of you have connections with the powers that be in the room might make this possible, where this establishment comes to Enid, and I'm talking about Raising Cain's Chicken. <laughs> I talked about Raising Cain's Chicken last November because they are a business, an organization, a community that functions and operates with one mindset. They have one priority. They have literally, as they call it, their one love, their best love. This priority, this one love, is making chicken figures. That's it. And some of you are like, I don't understand it. Well, you'll come around if we bring this establishment here to Enid. But anyways, they're they're so good, their chicken fingers, um, because they put chicken fingers before and above any other food. That's all they do, basically. Together as one, they are absolutely obsessed and devoted to preparing and presenting, and I quote them, only the most craveable chicken finger meals It's their one love. It's who they are. It's their main priority, to marinate their 100% chicken, none of this half stuff, for 24 hours, never frozen, never put under a heat lamp, always made fresh, and to serve that chicken finger meal to you and to I. It's that simple. It's easy. It's their priority. It's their one love. Well, in a similar vein, our number one priority our number one love is to be Jesus. Before anything in your life and anyone in your life. He should get the first fruit of our love. The best love. Because think about what Jesus said on this in Luke 14. We see great crowds we were with Jesus, following him. And Jesus turned to the crowds and he said, listen, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my follower. And then he puts out these two stories. For which of you, desiring to build a tower or a building, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, hey, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to the field for battle to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, this man will send a delegation and ask for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce or surrender all that he has and any one that he has cannot be my disciple." In other words, in order to be his followers, we must do what Abraham did and truly surrender everything and everyone onto that table. It's all yours. And put Jesus first as our number one priority, as our number one love. And if we refuse, he's literally saying, then you can't follow me. Because that's the foundation. That's where it begins. And we most certainly will not steward our relationships wisely. So as Jesus said, we must count the cost, the cost of following Him, the cost of honoring Him with your wealth. And that cost is complete surrender. To acknowledge that the first fruits belong to Him, that the whole produce belongs to Him. Transferring the entire weight onto Him, even the people in our lives, even those we love so, so dearly, the Isaacs in our life. Now, Jesus doesn't mean literally hate them. He's not preaching to hate with hatred or self-hatred. He's using very strong language to make a clear point. And Matthew clarifies this in Matthew 10 in his account. Jesus simply means, you must love me more. More than that child. More than that grandchild, more than that great-grandchild, more than that spouse, more than that parent, more than that sibling, more than that friend, you must love me more. That's the cost. Because his point is also made elsewhere, like in Matthew 6. He said, listen, no one can have two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Your family and Jesus cannot be your two masters. It's Jesus or nothing at all. Meaning, following Jesus requires a major priority shift in our lives, a much different kind of shift than the culture is willing to embrace. A different kind of priority shift in our resources, in our time, but also in our relationships. He becomes first. He becomes the one love. He becomes the main priority before and above anyone and everyone else. It's either him or not at all. He's saying, Make me your one love. Bring me the best fruit of your love. So count the cost. But there's another side to this coin in Jesus' stories in Luke 14. Specifically, the one about a king coming for war who's bigger, who's stronger and who will sweep us away unless we make peace with him while he's still far off. Meaning, count the cost of not following Jesus as your one love. Because a king is coming. And his wrath you cannot withstand if you're outside the ark, so to speak. Count the cost of not following Jesus. Count the cost of not following honoring him with everything and everyone in your life. Count the cost of not giving him the first fruit of your love. See what happens with your marriage. See what happens with your parenting. See what happens with your workplace. See what happens at school or on the field. Count the cost of not honoring him with your wealth. Not putting him as the best love, the main priority in your life. And if we don't want this to all end in disaster, like an unfinished building, like a defeated army, then what we should do is put Jesus first in everything. Including before our family, our job, our time, our resources, our very selves. Jesus' point is consider your ways, your life, the moment that is coming. Consider where this is all is leading, and count the cost of not following me as your one love. Now again, if we do this, doesn't mean every relationship in our life is going to go perfect. The wisdom literature teaches us this. However, we must renounce everything. We must give up ownership. We must see that we are not owners. We are stewards, and we are to steward what he has given us in the way he wants us to steward it. And how we do that with our relationships, the people in our lives, is we trust Him with them by ultimately leading them to Him. We do this by truly believing they are His first and foremost, by putting Jesus as the number one priority, the best love. So honor Him with your relationships, trust Him with them, and lead them to Him. Surrender yourself Surrender your very lives to him, but also surrender the lives of the people that he's placed in your life to him. Trust the guide. Trust the guide who is Jesus. I'll, I'll close with this. Yesterday, Noah and I we, we went to Turkey Mountain in, in Tulsa. Some of you have been there. It's a hiking park full of Different sorts of trails, levels of trails, types of trails. And in order to navigate the paths, and there's a lot of them, to navigate those paths through the trees and the hills without getting lost, without getting confused or turned around or messed up, you need the map. And you need to trust the map. If you have the map and you trust the map, it'll guide you. It'll make your path straight, guiding you on the path you ought to take. So I had the map, and I trusted the map. You might say I honored the map with my knowledge and decision-making. I transferred the entire weight, at least in that time of my life, onto the map. And so in a way, I said, okay, I'm all yours. I'm following you. I don't know where this is leading, but I'm all you. I'm trusting you first and foremost. You're my guide. I trust you. But here's the thing, I had Noah with me, my child, my son, my Isaac, if you will, the one that God entrusted to me as my responsibility to ultimately steward our relationship the way the Lord wants me to. And so there in Turkey Mountain, Noah's with me, which means I didn't just trust the map with myself, but also with Noah. In a way, I said, okay, we're both yours not just me following you noah is following you as well we're trusting you first and foremost because noah was following me i was his guide while the map was my guide so the map was guiding me just as it was guiding him so i trusted the map with him by leading him according to the map and the direction the map said we ought to go And you know, we live in a world full of confusion and chaos, darkness and disorder, a world full of trees and hills, a lot of paths that we could take, different levels, different types. And if we don't want to get lost, confused, turned around and messed up with our finances or time or relationships, then we need the guide. His name is Jesus. And we need to trust the guide. Trust the map, if you will. Not just any guide. Not just any map. The guide. The map. But not just trust Him with ourselves. We need to trust Him with the people that He has placed in our lives. Family, friends, co-workers. We're to trust Him with them by leading them to Him. Put the weight of everything and everyone onto him, because all that is in the cup in our hands is actually his, not yours. You didn't produce it. You didn't bring it forth. He did. You're not an owner. You're a steward. Called and commanded to manage what he has entrusted to you the way he wants you to. And the way we do that is by trusting Him and leading others to Him, making Him our one love, our main priority. And when we let Him initially take control of the cup in His hands, in the end, we find that we too get to hold the cup in our hands. We find that when we honor him with the first fruits of all that is produced, we find that our barns will be filled with overflowing, that our vats will brim over with new wine. In other words, we find that God provides, he blesses, and he multiplies. We find that with our resources, time, and relationships, that we will remain steady on the path, move with confidence, and finish the race set before him. This doesn't mean that things are going to go perfect for us. This doesn't mean that there's not going to be variables thrown in there or curveballs thrown in there that throws so much off. Look at the story of Job. What it means is that we need to trust the guide. Listen and obey him because he's leading the way. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward we're going to have a time of invitation. As you think about this series, maybe it's your resources, financial worlds of yours, or your time, or maybe it's a relationship in your life. Child, grandchild, great-grandchild, a friend, a coworker, a spouse, somebody from the past, somebody presently. And the Lord is, is calling you to, to surrender whatever that is to Him. To trust Him with it or with that person. For, for some of us, He's calling us to, to make Jesus the priority. To bring our first fruits of love to Him. Devoted to Him first and foremost following him, the guide, the master and Lord of our lives. For some of you, he's just calling you to surrender. For others, he's calling you to trust. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, if it's a decision that you say, man, I need to make this decision, maybe it's salvation, maybe it's just renewal, maybe it's just, I need to pray about something, maybe I just need to surrender something. You say, I need to talk to somebody myself. Weston will be down here in just a moment. Even as I pray, you can come. If you said, man, I just want to Externally, just get out of my seat. I want to come to these steps and just kind of lay it at his feet. I just want to surrender it there. These steps will be open even during this time. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, listen to the guide. Obey the guide. Trust him. You'll find that he makes your paths straight through the trees and through the hills. So even as I come, or even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you. We love you. We praise you for who you are and everything you've done in bringing about creation. We thank you for all the gifts that you've given us. We thank you for the gift of life, the gift of our own life, but the gift of the lives of those in our lives, the people in our family or friends or coworkers or whoever it might be. We thank you. Help us to recognize that every person, first and foremost, belongs to you. We're not owners, we're stewards. You produce the life. You produce that hour. You produced that dollar. It's all yours. Help us to be wise, Steward. Help us to manage these things and these areas of our lives the way you want us to. Father, help us to surrender if that's what we need to do. Help us to trust if that's what we need to do. But either way, help us to put all things and all people on the table. No matter the condition, the circumstance of all those things, no matter where the past has been, no matter what the present looks like, no matter what tomorrow looks like, help us just to lay it all on the table and say it's yours. We're yours. Help us to trust you with our lives and to trust you with the lives of the people in our lives. To your glory and praise. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As you stand with us as we sing, the invitation's open if you want to come down during this time.